Want to cut cooling bills without cutting comfort? Lower utility costs and enjoy cool and consistent comfort with a highly efficient air conditioner from Luxair. With Luxair's consumer rebate program, educators, nurses, first responders, military personnel, and veterans can enjoy exclusive rebates on qualifying purchases of Luxair equipment. To learn more, call G-Team Mechanical at 765-376-3042 or visit gteamhvac.com. They'll recommend a system tailored to your home that provides comfort, energy savings, and lasting performance. This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Hey. This is and always will be the greatest spectacle in racing. Oh, we have a car up and over. Kyle Kirkland. You want to see Brave Racing? They are all going big. Four wide at Indianapolis. Joseph Newgarden going to win the Indianapolis 500-mile race. What the f***? Swings to the inside. What a move for Will Power. He is the king of corn country. Hey, you like that? I did. Dixon finishes off the season with another victory. Alex Pillow is an NTT IndyCar Series champion. Let's go. Thank you. Hello, Some highlights, notable moments from 2023, courtesy of our social media, IndyCar Radio and NBC. And now it's on to 2024, and racing is nearly upon us this year, this month, this night. If you're a Chili Bowl fan, thanks for joining us. Welcome to Trackside, 93.5-1075, the fan in Indianapolis. Elijah Robertson is in Japan, so that's a good excuse to be off. We welcome Landon Coons in the studio tonight as our producer, Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan. Thank you for joining us. And I joked about holding off on news until we get back, thinking that's impossible for three weeks. There were some things that I thought were going to be announced quite soon, uh, but the news fairy obliged. There were many reports. There's plenty to discuss, but nothing new in terms of confirmations for the remaining full season or Indy 500 seats. No court decisions until today with a couple of different announcements today. And as I mentioned, we've got the Rolex 24 coming up in what that's in two and a half weeks. The roar is in a week and a half. The chili bowl is underway. Our, our buddy Dylan Welch, his qualifying night is Tomorrow night, there are not as many big names. I think there's kind of a, a war going on in the short track world with uh, big name drivers starting their own series and arguing about purse money because I don't think Kyle Larson and some of those types are at the Chili Bowl. But Chase Briscoe is there, and he's probably the biggest NASCAR name. J.J. Uh, J. Yelly, Josh Balicki, Abacus Racing, which is a local team and a friend of the program. So if you have Flow Racing, you can watch that. I don't believe Saturday night is on Mav TV anymore. If it is, someone correct me, but I think like last year, it's only on flow and you've got to buy the full year at like 150 bucks or something like that. So tell me how it goes and we'll find out next week, uh, but I'll miss it. I always enjoy the chili bowl. Kurt, how are you? Um, is it too late to say happy new year? Oh, thank it you. Is, I... Whatever. It's our first, our first visit. Yeah, it is our first visit. It feels like it's, it's been forever. 
I know that from an IndyCar standpoint, it went pretty quiet. Most of the teams kind of take some time and, and the IndyCar office shuts down and the Speedway office shuts down through the Christmas break. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things. I don't know that fans think about that like this, but you know, the, the teams and the sport kind of go every day, even though they may not be on broadcast with a race weekend, it kind of, with your building cars or working deals or prepping cars and prepping the team and hiring people. I mean, it is a nonstop process from January 2nd until about December 20th. So you think about all the crew members involved, all the staff members and all the various teams and tracks, it really is the only quiet period of the year. We had some news, uh, not on the great side. We can talk about that later, but uh, we, you know, we have a quiet period, and so it's really appropriate that we take two weeks off, as we have, because there's really not a lot to talk about in the sport. And, and like I said, I think that's good for the sport, just to let some of the crew members, you know, be with their families over the break, have some quiet time, and and not have a lot of announcements. And this is about the only sport, maybe Major League Baseball is another of the, the main sports I'm thinking about least in my world, I'm thinking, you know, the major stick and ball sports and motorsport, but in, in NASCAR, they get this kind of break too, but IMSA, no, not so much. Uh, and luckily the roar has moved back to the week before the Rolex, but in past years, the roar would have been this past weekend. And so they've been flat out with announcements all over the holiday, but obviously the NFL and the NBA and the NHL are all going throughout the holidays. So we get that luxury with a little bit of time off and then, because they knew the show returned today, we had announcements today. Or maybe it's because content days are tomorrow and picture days, and that if you were at all close to announcing something, there was incentive to get it out there today. Otherwise, you're going to have to organize those pictures and that content, and you'll be less likely to get your driver covered in the bumps, as we call them, coming back from breaks. Just a lot of reasons to try to have something done by tomorrow so aj Foyt racing sent out a release today as i started making notes this morning about what we still need to learn that's what i started with we need to learn the fate of benjamin peterson we still don't know the fate of benjamin peterson but we we do know that he it's confirmed that he's not going to be driving for aj Foyt racing no matter what tweet with a black background he sends out and as far as i know maybe he sent out the last few minutes so we'll check again before the end of the show I've not seen his response, but the announcement today was that A.J. Foyt Racing finalized their lineup for 2024 for their two-car program, not expecting to add a full-season third car, and that's Santino Ferrucci returning to the number 14 car. So I think that's great on, on so many levels. Let's take the Peterson element out of it for just a minute. From Santino's perspective, he gets a second year with the race team. Uh, you know, he... For the fact he's only been that he's been in six uh, seasons, this will be his seventh season. I think it's only his third or fourth full season, and only the second time he's returned full season with the same team. He was with Coin two years in succession, but this gives him a second year with AJ Foyt. Now they didn't have the best road course program and street circuit results last year, but they fared very well in the ovals. Obviously. We're within a whisker of winning the Indy 500, which would have been over the moon. And, 
you know, he's a big reason why his confidence on the oval at Indianapolis is sky high. He has performed really well in each of his, what, six or seven races there at the Speedway, maybe five or six. And, you know, he gives them a chance to be a contender again. And I think the pairing, as many of our listeners know, the, the difference for the team in 2024 is that they have now uh, developed and signed a relationship, a technical alliance, if you will, a professional partnership with Team Penske. So there's going to be a trickle-down effect for the race team having access to um, more pieces, more components that are, you know, Penske made that will be uh, helpful to the team. There will be more information flow. We don't know the extent of this benefit, but it stands to reason that if if Team Penske and Roger Penske have a reason to help AJ Foyt Racing succeed, then they're going to offer their influence and offer their support. So we're going to see improvement from from AJ Foyt Racing. And I'm sure that, you know, that was a big reason why Stingray Rob was interested in the ride and why there were others who were interested in in joining AJ Foyt Racing for 2024. And I mean, we can say with pretty good certainty, Santino Ferrucci will benefit as well. He wanted to be back. He said that at the end of last season and, and happy for him, happy for the team. That's great continuity as they go to the ovals and it gives them continuity through the season because they had him in their car last year. Let's face it. The Indy 500 is the most important event and the event that AJ Foyt racing has the best chance to have success at. And Santino Ferrucci is one of the best drivers that would be available. You could say he's the best driver. Uh, you could argue that we could start looking at who's who's out there, and it depends on whether Simon Passino is available and wants to drive and so forth. But whatever, in their car, he finished third and was legit in the mix last year. Commercially, it's very positive as well. He gets attention, um, even if the results aren't there. He still sometimes gets some attention. He's an interesting character. He's very likable. You know, I I know some of, and I say that for a reason. Because he's not always likable with the other drivers. He is probably the least popular driver with other drivers. I can't speak to that because I don't drive a race car. So I don't know what the beef is with that. But there are multiple drivers that have publicly said, yeah, I don't really like Santino. But when you talk to people that have worked with him from the team and sponsor side, the kid has it. And he's not a kid anymore. He's, what, 25 this year. But he has a sparkle to him. He lights up a room. Uh, and that's an important part of it. Partners, sponsors, guests love Santino Ferrucci. So that's all a positive. Now, as here's the thought I had when I was going to my unanswered questions. And one of the scenarios that I wondered about, not knowing what was needed from a financial standpoint, not knowing what was desired. And you mentioned the Penske relationship. There's been conjecture. Would Penske wants to have some influence on drivers? Um, and one incentive in that would not only to be to get Intel, but also would they have incentive to try to raise the level of that program to help Miles Rowe when he moves to IndyCar? Because the theory is that's one of the incentives for Penske in this relationship is that there is a landing spot. Rookie drivers don't usually land at Team Penske. What, Scott McLaughlin was the first one in over 20 years 
to get a seat, and he was a three-time champion in another series. So this would seem to be a spot for Miles Rowe in either 25 or 26. So here was a thought that I had, not a report. No one has suggested this, but just wondered, would Team Penske want a driver like Callum Eilat, who is very well regarded in that car at times, in a Foyt car at times, to help them to raise the level of the program, and then maybe also to see, hey, is this somebody we want in our program? Uh, whenever Will Power retires in the next year, two, three, five, whatever it might be when we have an opening. So I doubt that is the case anymore. But when the Indianapolis Star and Nathan Brown asked Larry Foyt in the Star article today, if this was for the full season, I'm looking through my notes because I wrote that down. The, the answer from a team official, actually it wasn't for Larry Foyt. I think he just contacted team public relations or someone else and the answer is we are intending that he be in the car the full season so that's leaving a little bit of a sliver that something could change there it really also could be that's an honest answer because that's really what everyone should say about their full-time driver right yeah, yeah um i mean other than you know I, I think we all know that the big championship contending drivers with the big teams there in the full season but we heard some rumors about big teams making changes in the middle of last season so nothing is guaranteed and as we've been reminded again contracts don't mean a whole lot so i think that's a fair answer because i don't think ferrucci brings a great deal of budget behind him uh and sponsorship probably brings some but a theory is that the excess that stingray rob brought helped them finish up the funding for this but the point being is that yeah if it goes horribly wrong and we have tons of crash damage or something else then then maybe so we we don't want to be on the record of guaranteeing this and have been lying later on so i appreciate that honest answer so i doubt there's anything to that but that was one thought i had what if miles Rowe starts off the season wins two of the first three indy next races and it looks by the time we get to may and june that yeah, whether he wins the championship or not, he is going to be ready to move to IndyCar next year. So we want to elevate the level of A.J. Foyt racing as much as we can, and we want Callum Eilat in a car. Now, by the way, this could also be, if Penske was willing to pay for it, uh, this could be a third car for A.J. Foyt racing for Callum Eilat. Callum Eilat is publicly interested in running a few races. I think he said his WEC schedule allows him to do something like nine or 10 of them. So he has an open schedule. So my guess is that doesn't happen, but I just want to throw that out there. That was one of my thoughts before this became more solidified. So it's interesting. And I just was listening. You lay out the, the theory and I agree with it to an extent. What stopped me was the fact that Callum Eilat doesn't help team Penske or AJ Foyt racing raise its level at the most important day of the year. And that is the Indy 500. If you want somebody to raise your level at the Indy 500, Santino Ferrucci is a better option than Callum Eilat. Now I think- Which is why Santino is going to be in the car in the Indy 500. Yeah. I don't see a great path for Callum at the Indy 500. Uh, we'll get to that later about the seats that are there. In, unless he has found funding, I, I think incredibly highly of Callum and if there was a budget to hire a driver for road and street course racing, he's number one. Yeah, I agree. 
but he's not number one to hire for the Indy 500. You know, a J.R. Hildebrand is higher on the list. Stefan Wilson has, I think, more experience than he does. Certainly, if Simon Paginot wants to go, he's there. Takuma Sato, James Hinchcliffe, I can name several in that regard. So that's why I don't, I don't think that's a great path unless it's in a third fleet car and it's because they want him with the program because they have plans for more races. That's where he could help them. He could help them on road and street courses. Yeah, he could. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's going to happen, but I don't you know, if I was, if I was the Foyt Penske pairing and talking about people that could help us, you know, I'm thinking more about some of the more veteran guys. Uh, like I said, it, I wouldn't think it would happen, but Takuma Sato, I'd rather have Sato in a car than maybe some other people. So, you know, Hinch, uh, Hinchcliffe, uh, Hildebrand, you know, I think we'll know where Hunter Ray and Connor Daly fit in. But to your point, I mean, there are a lot of people that would be in line for that third seat at Indy. If you were just talking about an Indy only third car, if you're talking about bringing in uh, somebody on the road courses and street circuits, again, maybe that's a that's a debate I'd be willing to have. But certainly for the Indy 500, you could argue that that, uh, you know, in some respects, um, Santino Ferrucci really helps the overall program of Penske Foyt more than a lot of people could, because that's been a that was that was consistently strong last year. Uh, that qualified was qualified better. They yeah, race. The, the whole program, other than Santino, did not race better, um, but they certainly were faster. So yes, I I think this is mu as much about Penske finding what they're not doing right in qualifying from another Chevy team as it is helping A.J. Foyt racing. Strange as it sounds, that's that's where my mind was going, and I, I just wasn't prepared to say that out loud. You know, I mean, imagine the, you know, what you have to, you know, the gumption you got to say that that Foyt's going to help them in qualifying at Indy. But uh, I think they've, the record shows what it shows, and, and the Foyt cars have been good in qualifying. So there you go. Uh, now to Benjamin Peterson. When asked by the Indianapolis Star last month on an IndyCar teleconference if Stingray Rob's signing should signal an end to Peterson's tenure with the team, Larry Foyt said the team was, quote, sorting all that out. I can't really speak to that yet. When reached for comment today regarding Peterson's future with the team, Larry Foyt said in a statement provided to Nathan Brown in the Indianapolis Star, my agreement with Mr. Peterson lapsed by its own terms. I wish him well in his future endeavors. Anything you can make of lapse of its own terms? So here, here are the first thoughts that I have of what lapsed terms could mean. Could mean it was a team option. You know, we, we, these, these contracts in every sport can be announced for multi-years, but what's the fine print? What's the option? What incentives kick in a trigger clause or trigger a clause in an option to be picked up. So that could be simply, it could be simply, it was a team option and we chose not to enact it. I find that unlikely because the Peterson camp has been adamant. And even Larry was pretty clear that, no, we've got a multi-year contract, you know, in September and this is going to continue. So something's changed since then. I, I think he would have more likely been open 
because it would have been in his best interest to be open to say, hey, we have an option. If we find a better option here, please let us know. But he was publicly saying there's no room at the end, uh, although everyone was still circling and trying to get that seat for some of the reasons that we just talked about, how good they were at Indy and the relationship, I think, with Penske coming on board. Second part is maybe there were performance requirements that activated an option year. Sometimes that goes to the driver's side. Sometimes the driver has a clause to get out of a contract if we don't have this type of success, meaning, hey, I'm bringing the budget. If we stink, I'm not going to continue to pay you this amount of money for this seat if there is a better seat somewhere else. So if the team doesn't do this, if I don't do this, that allows me the opportunity to go look somewhere else. That's another scenario. The next could be deadlines for payments. Yep, yep. And if full monies were not received or, because that, that becomes pretty obvious, but what if they were not received on the date listed in the contract? When all is going well, those kind of things are generally overlooked. There are a lot of dates missed. And sometimes it's because a sponsor is paying and it's being shifted and you just have a talk with the parties and no, all is good. If everyone is getting along, that is fine. But if you are looking for a reason to get out of a contract, if it says you will pay X amount by September 15th, another by October 15th, hey, there, there's your terms. And that's where I think Foyt is going to win this if that is the scenario in this case. Uh, a fourth option potentially could be some type of fine print like participation in extreme sports. I remember hearing that was brought up regarding a driver a few years ago when uh, the driver and the team was discussing a separation that eh, we don't owe you anything because you did something you were not allowed to do under contract. So again, when someone wants to get rid of you, you'd better have fulfilled the contract to the letter of the law, or they are going to be able to do that. So the word in the in the statement that struck me was the word lapsed. To me, that sounds like a, a date. A, a date was missed. <laughs> yeah, that that's what that says to me. Now I don't have any reason to to believe one way or the other, but logic putting two and two together would lead you to think that lapsed is relative relevant to time rather than, you know, I did the X Games and I shouldn't have, or I went downhill. Uh, snow skiing when I shouldn't have I mean I you know or results driven I don't think it I mean I don't think it speaks to results driven even if you could make that argument I don't know yeah I, I, I don't doubt know either. they would have agreed to that N knowing where the team was before um, unless it was a mutual option because there were not super high expectations to begin with. But yes, that that makes some sense because in September we knew what the results were at that point. Now, even if that's the case, uh, I'm going to guess there still will be lawyers because if they want to fight this, the Peterson camp would potentially say that, well, wait a minute, we had a date missed back in April and we're told it was no big deal. We were told this was no big deal. And all of the money has been paid. If indeed all of the money has been paid, 
then that's going to be their argument with that. So I'm not smart enough to know how that gets down into the weeds and and uh, who agrees with that. But um, there's no room. So he's uh, going to be looking for something else. Foyt, by the way, will have its first All-American roster since 2004. I had to think about the two drivers in 2004. That was interesting because uh, I was trying to put people together, and then it hit me. All of a sudden, they were both named Foyt. <laughs> so they, they do not have their all, first all-Foyt roster since 2004, but they have their first all-American roster with A.J. the Foyt and Larry Foyt back in, in 2004. All right, here's what's still to be determined, obviously. Court cases. If if they're going that direction, Peterson and Foyt, uh, Grosjean versus Andretti, Pelot versus McLaren, that is still tentative. Uh, and then Dale Coyne racing. Those are the two seats still remaining. Neither are announced. My best guesses of the candidates there would be the aforementioned Benjamin Peterson. If he still has budget behind him, then he's got a chance. Devlin DeFrancesco has been linked to that seat since the middle of last summer, or to a seat there. There are two of them. Dale Coyne likes talent, and depending on the budget that comes with the first seat, maybe there is a way to slot Calamila into some of those. Or And here's a scenario that sometimes happens. If you get a, quote, pay driver, someone that is bringing budget, but not full budget, but a little bit more on a prorated basis, uh, then you say, all right, you're going to get eight races and Callum Eilat gets eight races and we split it up, but you're really paying more than you should for those eight. So you're paying for a little bit of Callum's program, but the car is going to be better when you get in it the next time because Callum is going to be a part of our program and help develop it. Jack Harvey is a name that should be mentioned. Um, no idea whether he has any budget behind him or whether there is incentive or not. And then I'm not going to run through names, but, you know, name your F2, F3, Formula E driver, people of that like. Here's something to keep in mind, too, when you think about Dale Coyne racing and the attractiveness of that seat in those seats. I know it did not go well last year. And they've lost a lot of engineering strength in the last few years. I want to know where Craig Hampson is going to land next year. And I'm not predicting that he's going to land a Dale Coyne, but he's worked there before. And he used to live in the Chicago area, and that was important to him. May not be anymore. It, it may maybe he's fine with living in the Indianapolis area and knows he, you know, is working at races and Chicago's not that far of a drive to go every once in a while, even if he did end up at Coin or, or wherever else. But maybe, you know, I just wonder if a Craig Hampson, if he indeed did leave and multiple reports and people have said he did leave McLaren. Maybe he likes the smaller atmosphere where I'm going to guess there is full autonomy for a Craig Hampson, at Dale Coyne racing. I want to do something. It is done. You're at a big team. You've got to run that up the chain of command. And I don't want to mess with that. That's wasting time. I know what I'm doing. Let's just do it. I and think if you that's... want to, if you want to operate that way, then smaller outlets are your places to go i think if you look at the the talent that dale coin racing has employed over the years you're finding a lot of guys no and and by the way this is absolutely no disrespect to them or their personalities 
But you look at some of the people that have worked there and they have an independence that works really well with Dale. You know, I'm thinking of Hampson. I'm thinking of Bill Pappas. I'm thinking, you know, go down through the list. There are more, but those are guys that want to do things the way they know it, they believe it works and good for them. Dale's had a ton of success with those, those engineers, a ton of success. They have punched above their weight time and time again, because I believe Dale lets them engineer the car. And they have developed young engineers as well. Sure. Absolutely. Like now, Scott Dixon's engineer, Ross Bunnell, was in that younger category and had a couple of years as a lead engineer at Dale Coyne Racing, and now he's he's thriving at Ganassi. So I don't know if that's where he's going to go. You know, at some point, if I'm Craig, I'm thinking about who can pay me the most money, and certainly Ganassi or Andretti. I think everyone would find a spot for Craig Hampson. What does he want to do? Does he want to oversee an entire program like he's done before and not be on a car? Um, everyone would find a spot for him there. You know, I'm sure Ray Hall would be open. I know they've made some changes in engineering. Everybody has. Everybody's looking for an engineer. So every team is an option for a Craig Hampson. He probably is not allowed to sign or say where he's going at this point. Teams like McLaren often as they say in the Formula World, Formula One world, have gardening leave, meaning it's a non-compete contract. And when Gavin Ward went from Penske to McLaren, he couldn't start until July of the next season. So it may be six months. So say, for example, if his contract ran until December 31st, we might not see Craig Hampson until mid-season this year. Maybe not. Maybe it ended in October and he's able to be there in March. I have no idea. But those are some of the scenarios. And if you don't see Craig... Uh, at St. Pete, it would either be A, he wants to take a break, or more likely that uh, he is not allowed to work for someone at this point. We'll get to Indy 500 and, and where things stand on that coming up uh, in just a little bit. We did have other news since our last program, and unfortunately, it's very bad. It's very sad news. Jill DeFerrin, the 2003 Indianapolis 500 winner, Two-time IndyCar champion, all-around wonderful guy, died suddenly, heart attack, actually was in a race car, from what we understand, at the Concourse Club in Miami, was with his son. Uh, his son was a passenger in a sports car, probably a ride-along type of program. Felt from the reports from people like Tony Kanon, from Nathan Brown's reporting and others, felt poorly, pulled off had a massive heart attack and could not be revived. Such awful news. Yeah, it really is. And and would love to spend a little more time thinking and talking about this. I've not, you know, I've had some chances to talk to people. I talked to Castro Nevis for probably 45 minutes one day and just the influence that Jill had with, with so many people. But, you know, DeFerrin is one of those guys that as, as a fan base, you sat back and you watched him and he was quiet to, to a large degree compared to the Canons and the Castro Nevises. And, you know, you, you knew he was a smart guy. You knew he was very talented and had won championships, two of them at team Penske in the champ car uh, last stint for team Penske and won the Indy 500. But I don't think you knew the depth of the influence that he had both on the, on the track and off the track and his, his personality and the way he brought people together and his intelligence and his, his humor. So it's, you know, for those probably have been following this sport and you've read some stuff over the last week, 
you started to get a sense, and this, this is unfortunate that it happens. I think we learn more about a, about someone when people will talk about them, and that usually comes in the form of a tough time like now where you hear so many stories about the individual. You think, man, I, I wish I'd have known him in life the way I seem to know him in death. And so it's been nice to watch and read a lot of those stories. I've written some of them myself and to have known Jill as well as I I did, uh, you know, this is just a crushing blow for the sport, not just the Indy 500, uh, but for the sport, McLaren, F1, IndyCar, sports cars. He really touched it all and was successful as a team owner, as a driver, as a as an advisor, as, as sort of an engineering liaison. He, he really had done it all. And so it's, a as I said, just a crushing loss. Such a talented and smart guy. But I also noticed, and a lot of us would notice this, he always came up with new fantastic jobs. He had a lot of great jobs. And I think one of the reasons is not only because he was smart and good at what he did, but there are a lot of people in the motorsports world that are very smart and you would think they have something to offer, but they didn't get those kind of jobs. And and I think it's part of that is because of his people skills too. That's part of getting those kind of jobs because he was so genuine. He made everyone feel important. And he really had that extra it factor along with his knowledge in the world of motorsport. See, I think that's, that's what I'm trying to describe and maybe haven't done so well enough. I don't think the general public would believe just based on the sound bites that you heard from Jill over the years, you wouldn't know how deep his personal connections with people go and his people skills, unless you are around him in a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. I, I consider him as true of a friend as, as anyone I've ever had in the driver a lot. And I say that because the drivers are kind of at a level that, you know, it's not like media guys and track owners and, you know, Roger Penske even, but drivers seem to kind of float at a higher level. He's a genuine, a normal person and approachable and likable as anybody in the paddock. And so that's, that's something I, that's why I said, I think the average fan wouldn't have believed that had he not read the stories that have been written about Jill in the last week. Super, super sad. Only 56 years old. Also uh, over the holidays on New Year's Eve, Cale Yarborough passed away. Very different circumstances. A full life lived, 84 years old, three time, three in a row, three cup championships, four Daytona 500 wins. He was involved in that famous brawl in 1979 uh, in the infield of the Daytona 500 with the uh, Allison brothers in, in turn three and four Indy 500s as well and did a full season in the early yeah. 70s when it was an all oval series in the USAC IndyCar circuit. Yeah, yeah, multi-talented, um, had those four starts in late 60s, mid-60s, really. I think he started in 66. So yep. you're talking about a pretty strong group of group of cats he was dealing with in 66, 67. Those were great fields uh, if you go back and look at the history books. But, uh, yeah, Cale had a, had his, his fingerprints all over motorsports in the 60s and 70s for sure. I didn't know this. He was a high school football star and played semi-pro football. I read he did. in a release from the he did. from uh from Indianapolis Motor Speedway and a Golden Gloves boxer as well. So we celebrate Cale Yarborough as well. And already one correction in the show. I just refreshed Twitter and a couple of hours ago, 
it was announced new new entry Kyle Larson is in the Chili Bowl so that was just announced before a little before seven o'clock here on Tuesday evening I think Santino Ferrucci is in the Chili Bowl as well he is that that's been I forgot to mention that yes Santino is is doing the Chili Bowl again uh he was upside down on his noggin the last yeah. time so yeah. hopefully <laughs> it goes a lot better for him this time all right still to come uh news on IndyCar in Texas Indy 500 conversation and much more on Trackside. Hi, this is Graham Rahal, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Thanks for staying with us as we continue 93.5, 107.5 The Fan in Indianapolis. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cabin, thank you for joining us tonight. I happen to to check my direct messages someone slipped in my dms and asked a question i can't guarantee those get in because i don't check those as often but al sent this one in today saying catching up on last year's final track side you mentioned a driver's budget referring to the sponsorship money a driver brings as someone outside of indycar my question is how much does the average driver bring in sponsorship money also without naming names what's the most a driver has brought and what's the least well, the but, easiest of all that is the least would be zero. <laughs> <laughs> no, but 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 driver money comes to teams in a variety of ways. And it may not be, you know, a driver just has, you know, a family checkbook. So it's not like, you know, a dad writes the check. I mean, sometimes it's just I have a connection. Kanan was like this in a lot of cases. He had a connection to a sponsor that was willing to support the team or or maybe even just pay Tony's salary. And so you know, by definition, in some years, Tony uh, was a was a guy who brought money. And so it's not a derogatory term. It just means you've been good off the track, either in your own family business, or you've been able to, uh, to attract someone who can, you know, help with the program in some way. So it's, it's sometimes not about just writing a check, it, it has to do with connections you're making uh, with B2B. And, and that's helpful, too it's cutting out the middleman. So it yep. can work this way. Either the team finds the sponsor and usually the team uses the driver and says, we're going to have this driver in this car. Would you like to be a partner on this program? And here's the other things that goes along with it. A lot more than just the sticker or the simpler way to do it. And this is obviously what, what I'm doing with Jackson. Exactly. And what every driver uh, does with someone supporting them. They then cut out the middleman and then they can control things. The sponsors, the partners oftentimes like being associated with a driver as there's advantages to both, but that way the driver has a little more control of things. Yeah, sometimes the partner ends up staying with the team when the driver moves on. So that can happen as well. But yeah, there's no shame in that. There are a lot of really good drivers that just said, well, why depend on the team? How about I go out and find it? And say it costs $1.3 million to do the Indy 500, I'm going to find $2 million in partnerships. So that means I make $700,000. That's how that works for a successful one-off program. So to so the answer to what's the most someone has brought in the IndyCar world, you know, maybe someone has brought $10 million before, um, because I know there have been some scenarios where 
one driver has helped fund the second seat a little bit. Maybe it's a little bit more than that, but that's probably in that ballpark. And there is no set. It is a sliding scale. And there are several teams. You know, Team Penske, their drivers are bringing nothing. Team Penske is selling sponsorship around those drivers. Andretti, their drivers at this point now are bringing nothing. Ganassi, um, most of them are bringing nothing. Nothing. One of them is bringing a lot uh, and, and has been even before he's been driving the IndyCar. Clearly, that's Kiffin Simpson. His dad is involved with Ridgeline Lubricants, which is a sponsor of the team and has been before. So there you go. Um, I think I had another. I'll go back to it. Uh, I wanted to just do a quick update on where I think we're at with the Indy 500 right now. I really thought by now we would see the announcement for Dreyer and Reinbold. You know, for one, Connor Daly in his podcast a month ago said, yeah, it's coming soon. I don't know if it'll come before our last show of the year, meaning his last show of the year. He didn't say who it was with. So I don't know with 100% certainty, but I feel it's pretty likely that Ryan Hunter Ray and Connor Daly are going to be announced at Dreyer and Reinbold. So where do we stand for the Indy 500? Let's do quick math. 27 full-time cars. Uh, plus the extra Ed Carpenter car for either Christian Rasmussen or Ed Carpenter, however you want to figure it. Kyle Larson, Elio Castroneves. That's 30. 16 Hondas, 14 Chevys. The two DRR cars, they have confirmed there will be two. There's 32. That gets us to 16 Chevys. Waiting on an announcement for Andretti Global's fourth car for Marco Andretti. If that happens, like we presume it will, there's your 33, there's 17 Hondas. I believe Able Motorsports is going to run a car. It seems likely it's going to be for R.C. Enerson, but that's not been confirmed at this point. Now we're at 34, 17 apiece. We think that Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan would run a fourth car. Makes sense that it would be Takuma Sato. There's your 18th Honda. They're probably done. Now, I've thrown out the number 35 for a while, but if A.J. Foyt Racing is going to run a third car, that's a scenario where you get to 36, and it's 18 apiece, which would make the most sense if everyone, if, if IndyCar said, hey, we need you all to help us out. I know you're losing money on extra engines, but let's make it even. Let's run 18 apiece. Uh, you got a chance where you're bumping the other guy instead of your guy. Let's go at it. How likely is that to happen that we see 36? And by the way, that third car, my guess is J.R. Hildebrand, who I've mentioned a few times, I still give Stefan Wilson an opportunity at that one. Since we haven't seen the Dreyer and Reinbold announcement, I, I think it's possible he's still in play there. Uh, and then maybe a reason that Enerson hasn't been announced at Abel, and I think there was a story on Racer this week about that, that it's, hey, we've got a seat. We haven't announced this. If you want to offer us a whole lot of money, for this seat, we'll think about it. But I, I think it's going to be R.C. Enerson there. Well, they have a car, so that that makes sense. That Well, that but I think Abel has their own car. It, well it does, too. but having having a second car is helpful. Uh, so okay. I, I, I think that's uh, that's where it stands. Uh, we're getting close to, to filling the field, if you will, and now it's just a matter of how do they line up and qualify. All right, we'll preview hour number two coming up in just a moment on Trackside. Hi, this is Rian Svike, 
and you're listening to Trekside. Quick segment here as we get set for hour number two. We'll get to some more of your tweets coming up in just a little bit. Good story on motorsport.com giving us a little bit of insight on what the future uh, might be for Texas Motor Speedway or is there another option for IndyCar in Texas. We have video game news that we will share. That was also announced today since they knew the show was coming back and plenty more all coming up. Hour number two, Trackside, 93.5, The Fan. Hi, this is Alexander Rossi, and you're listening to Trackside. Hour number two, show number one of 2024, and it's race month. If you're into the Chili Bowl, that's going on throughout the week with the um, big night coming up, feature night coming up on Saturday night. We talked about that a little bit in the last hour. IMSA season is almost here with all about half of the IndyCar field participating in the Rolex 24 the last weekend in January. Coming up in a week and a half, it's the roar before the 24 with practice for the IMSA WeatherTech Series and other support series as well. We'll touch on that coming up next week in the show and get you a list of all the people participating and more. And IndyCar content days are coming up over the next two days. So stay tuned to your social media accounts. Most of the drivers are already in town. Start chatting and posing at 8 a.m. tomorrow morning at the IMS offices. So you'll you'll see some people around town. Uh, not the IMS offices. No, not the IMS offices. The IndyCar not... offices. Neither one. Neither one. No. At a location. I'm supposed to be there. Where is it? I've got to find out. Well, we'll talk about it off air. We're n- I don't okay. know that it was publicly announced, uh, but it, it is a place you're familiar with. And... Am I going to have to pay for parking? Yeah. Uh, that was part of me agreeing to come down and help. Well, there you go. All right, so... I'll look into this. Yeah, you might want to uh, not show up at uh, IndyCar offices tomorrow. Well, anyway, I'm glad I mentioned that because that's where I was told it was at a couple of weeks ago. So well, I'll maybe look into this. All right. maybe that's your first thing. But uh, but first on the media side, so first chance to uh, to talk to the journalist in town. Uh, the first chance will be Joseph Newgarden. So you will see Joseph shortly after eight o'clock, probably on social channels, uh, as you described. So. Let the fun begin. Remember a couple years ago, Connor Daly showed up with a mullet. That was the big talking point of that particular media day. And, you know, we'll start to hear things. I'm sure some people might, like, weigh in. I bet there's some slippage of information relative to the Dale coin cars because I bet somebody knows, for one of the driver's standpoint, they'll get the question. Uh, somebody will get the question. And if the right person is asked, maybe we'll get a little insight. And usually somebody slips up on telling us who their engineer is before that engineer has been announced because we've got a few of those that have not been confirmed at this point as well. So I've, I've just kind of been jotting down some questions that I want to uh, ask some, some different drivers about some things. So uh, I'll learn some things and we'll learn some things through the assembled media as well. I think I'm going to just hang out in the NBC room and then, and then try to, is anyone in person coming in? Are media coming in in person or is yes. it all? Okay. I didn't know if it was all Zoom or something like that. So hopefully I can bounce down to the assembled media room as well. Also, public service announcement. 
those of you listening to this show that are IndyCar fans are ahead of NFL fans at this point. The uh, Chiefs-Dolphins game is on Peacock on Saturday night. Tell your parents. Ah. Tell tell everyone. I was uh, at my wife's family's house for a, a holiday event when the last Peacock game aired. And yeah, that didn't go over well, just like it didn't go over well in a lot of places that that was that, that wasn't really understood where's the game there's a game on nbc i actually think this was brilliant strategy by nbc the way they did this so if if, if you didn't catch on this and we've mentioned it a couple of times and why it applies to this i think it all helps it's not game changer or anything for indycar but digital and streaming and peacock is becoming a little bit more mainstream and more people are aware of what peacock is now and they still had something like 7 million people. You know, we kind of talked about what an over-under was, uh, what we thought for an audience for that Peacock game, a regular season game. I think it was maybe December 23rd between the, was it the Chargers and the Bills? But 7 million for a regular season game is is not bad. I know it's less than what Amazon has done, which is generally between 8 to 13 million. But for the very first time out, I think that's really good, and I like the strategy that NBC did. So they had a game on, like the 430 game. They had that game, promoted it, but as I was talking with someone, you know, the bug is right there. The game next, exclusively on Peacock, and I pointed to that, and I said, you know what that means? No. It means it's the game on next, but where is it on? Well, it's right here on Channel 13. No, that means so. So we take those things for advantage that we understand things like exclusively. No one's paying very close attention. So NBC, I'm sure, is spending a lot of money trying to spread the word on this is not on TV. So what they did was they did the post game show for the first game, and then they had Tariko and Collinsworth come on and do what we call the stand up. You know, the on camera open for game two on NBC. And again, said, you're going to have to switch to Peacock in three minutes. And I'm sure nobody, not nobody, but a lot of people didn't make the connection. And then at 8.03, when it switched to a sitcom, then it was, wait a minute, where'd the game go? And then it was everybody searching. And then I I happened to check into social media and it was not going well for the (laughs) NBC sports admin (laughs) at that time. Um, But I'm sure they had the notifications turned off. So I thought that was that was interesting what that number was. I think it was like 8.3 million average, but that included the two local markets. You still get to air them in the low. So, for example, if the Colts were on Peacock, they would create a deal with Channel 13 or Channel 4 or 50, whatever. Somebody would air the game locally. I guess it would likely be the NBC affiliate. So that's coming up this Saturday night. Taylor Swift fans are going to be Peacock subscribers. So that's a good thing. That means we have the Swifties in line to watch IMSA and IndyCar this year and The Office. Well, they have the opportunity. We got to get them directed to turn on the in line. Yeah, yeah in line. Okay. I guarantee it. Is this going to be? I'm thinking about the guy who's sitting back in in Connecticut when all that hits the fan, uh, and the game is not on NBC. You you remember the story, and I've I've only got a couple of the details, but. Was I think it was Robin that gave out Bob Knight's home phone number, and and all of a sudden he started getting all these calls <laughs> about something. Uh, I, I forget. I, I, I forget the story, but 
Bill Benner will re- remind me. Oh, was me. it Bob Knight? Did, did, did someone give out Robin's phone number? No, I think they. I th- no, I think it was the other way around. But anyway, the point is, I don't think that's what the poor person in NBC. It, it probably crossed his mind. Why don't I just give the head of NBC his phone number out since uh, no, no, he's no, the no. one that? That's what you're paid for to be the admin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you feel bad for that guy. It's it's all part of the job, and they've got thick skin. So, um, yeah, that's coming up this weekend. So just a, a note, if you want to watch football, your IndyCar subscription for Peacock is paying off for you. You get to watch an NFL playoff game live coming up on Saturday night. Here, did you see this? When we talk about trying to avoid the NFL, it keeps going up. How many of the top 100-rated shows – were NFL games in 2023. I didn't see it, but I'm going to guess 63. That would be circa 1997. Yeah, I know. I, I, I figure I'm low. Let me think here. I think it was 96. One more was the college football championship. One of the non-NFL was really an NFL it was whatever aired after the Super Bowl last year, which could be you and I doing a YouTube stream, and it would still draw <laughs> 25 million people. Um, so that was one. And then I think maybe the Oscars and the State of the Union were the were the others. So really, the Oscars and the State of the Union, I think, were the only two. Or maybe it was the Grammys. One of the two. Are they the same thing? I don't know. I've never watched an award show. <laughs> Uh, so that's it. So yes, the NFL is king and continues to be kinglier, if you would. Uh, all right. Uh, another announcement today. Now, this was reported on Christmas Eve morning by Adam Stern of Sports Business Journal. So that means he got the info on the 23rd, I think, which qualifies it for a Festivus miracle, I'm going to say. And that was news of iRacing and IndyCar coming back together. So that came out right before Christmas. And then IndyCar officially, you don't, you didn't watch Seinfeld? You got a blank yeah, stare yeah, in your yeah, face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I got it. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. Uh, you always have a, you kind of have that stone face. It's hard to get a reaction out of you sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Story of my now, life. Multi, yeah. Multi year licensing agreement with iRacing and IndyCar. So in the video world, this is a big deal for those that have not been happy. Now, it doesn't fix everything. There's no word if they're developing a console game. That's going to take a little while. Adam Stern did tweet today on the console front. IndyCar is exploring several options, but has nothing concrete to discuss yet. So there's the news on that. You'll see the iRacing Indianapolis 500. I think some details are coming on that soon. For the people that are into iRacing, you got that going for you here coming up in the next little while. Also news released, I wouldn't say this is news released today, but journalists at work, Joey Barnes of Motorsport.com, published a story with quotes from Penske Entertainment President and CEO Mark Miles. The story is IndyCar doesn't want to be locked into only one option in 25 Texas return. Um, yeah, it mentions that the omission was thought to be a brief hiatus and still could be, although I would I would opine that I, I don't know that I thought this was a brief hiatus. I'm hoping it's a brief hiatus. I'll just say that the reasons, Texas is more, the issues are more than just they couldn't find an agreeable date. 
It's that there was nobody at the race. <laughs> that That's an issue. So they're going to have to get that figured out a way. Now, if, if Texas Motor Speedway is still willing to pay a sanctioning fee, uh, then I think IndyCar will be more happy than go. But they should look at other options, and it sounds like they are looking at other options. Quote from Mark was, the first thing is you saw how late it was before we knew what dates could be available for 2024. I don't have any news or inclinations or insights about 2025 and the Texas Motor Speedway. We obviously have a relationship there and a lot of history. And when we can learn anything, we're eager to learn about what's possible. Joey writes, one of the variables to factor in is NTT Data, the title sponsor of the IndyCar Series, which is based in Plano, Texas, roughly 40 miles east of the track's location in Fort Worth. Miles said, we also think Texas is an important market and don't want to have all our eggs in one basket. So if there were other options and we in Texas Motor Speedway just don't come together, then it wouldn't be smart for us. It would be smart for us to see what else is out there. More reading with Kevin. Joey writes, when it comes to other options, the obvious choice could be returned to Circuit of the Americas in Austin. IndyCar raced there in 19. They were going to race there in 20 before COVID canceled it. Um, at the tail end of 18, there were rumors about exploring the possibility of adding a street race in San Antonio. I'll add in, that's right. I had forgotten about that. And we've heard conversations recently about, I think Mark even said something, there's a, another potential venue out there. Maybe this is it. We wondered, maybe is it something like Denver? That's been thrown out. Who knows? Back to reading. Uh, San Antonio, but that was later muted when IndyCar added Coda. As it relates in the motorsports.com story continues to the early part of this offseason, a high-ranking representative within the sport told motorsport.com of some talk being stirred up for a race focused on the streets around AT&T Stadium, home of the Dallas Cowboys in Arlington, just outside of Dallas, uh, an estimated 35 miles south of Texas Motor Speedway. However, the same source recently shared the ideas quieted down, according to motorsport.com. So, and then Mark says, I haven't talked to Jerry Jones. He's the owner of the Dallas Cowboys since I was chairman of our Super Bowl in 2012. I think the rumors are probably getting ahead of everybody with respect to what else might be available in Texas, but it's a big state. There are markets in Texas where there's even more Pato Award fever, uh, maybe even better climates early in the spring when we could want to be in Texas. There are other possibilities, maybe in North Texas. You mentioned Austin. So it's too soon to know what plan B might be, but we don't want to be locked in to only one option, particularly given that this year, for example, it didn't come together. And Thoughts? So my first first thought is he's describing San Antonio. He's talking about warmer weather. He's talking about more Pato Award fans. He's talking about options for the spring. North Texas, by the way, I don't, I'd have to look at my geography and I'm sure I'll get corrected after I say this. I don't think of Austin as being North Texas. I think of North Texas being Dallas, Fort Worth. Austin is, you know, pretty good ways, but it's, you know, maybe it is central. Maybe it's North. I don't know how Texans view that. I should ask Joey. Um, I don't San Antonio. I don't think he's uh, talk. I don't think Mark miles is talking about Houston. Houston would be warmer. Houston would be, I mean, you could return to Houston, I suppose, but I, I think, I think he's describing San Antonio, but that doesn't mean that's where they're headed. I just think that's the logical place. If you're looking for more Pato award fans, that's the area he grew up in. 
and it it is more likely to be a Hispanic crowd than Fort Worth or even Austin for that matter. You know, North Texas. I'm looking, especially if you look at Northeast Texas. There's not a lot. Well, they're not Dallas. They're not going to uh... Oklahoma City is the next in Oklahoma City is one that's been thrown out before that would get you some of the North Texas market. If you wanted to do something there, I don't remember where, but I've heard that city floated as a possibility for a street race before. Um, Wichita Falls. <laughs> well, you're not going back to College Station, <laughs> home of Texas World Speedway. Uh, you know, I just think it, I suppose Houston could be. But to me, the way the quotes that Mark made that are described in Joey's story, to me, says San Antonio. That that San Antonio, Circuit of the Americas, Texas Motor Speedway, those are your choices. I don't think you're going to El Paso. Let's put it that way. I don't know what to think of the likelihood of Circuit of the Americas. It's the easiest deal Plug to and get play. done because it's a because it's a ready-made venue. But with NASCAR in the spring and Formula One in the fall, I don't think they're very incentivized. Plus all the other that that track is very busy and it is a very, again, knowing some of these numbers, it's a very high track rental. They are doing well. They do not need events. They, they do well with club events and test days for people that want to drive their sports car or their formula three car on a track that formula one races at. Um, but you can't rule it out because that's the simplest thing. Just like when we talked about when, you know, before the Formula One explosion of these extra events, if they wanted to add an event in America, Indianapolis made the most sense because it's a ready-made track. Well, now they have tracks in Miami and Vegas and Coda is doing fine. So, yeah, that's not going to happen anytime soon. San Antonio would make some sense. Fantastic market. It's one of the few big cities I've never been to. I still have never been to San Antonio. And then I think something uh, around Texas Stadium or AT&T Stadium would make some sense, too. They've used that template before. They've raced around the Houston Texan Stadium. So I wouldn't rule out Houston. May not be talking about it in this circumstance, but it's the weather you would like. All it takes is a promoter. You've got a venue. You know you have a track that could work. Um, as I remember, I don't know the golf schedule off the top of my head. That was an issue at one point. There was a maybe a PGA event that or some, something that – impacted things happening there in the spring but all of those make some sense it's an important market um i still hold out hope for texas motor speedway but i guess i'll just put it this way i don't see it anywhere close to a foregone conclusion that it is back on the schedule in 25 you know i know the olympics were used as an excuse for this year yeah you would have had a better chance of moving up gateway and portland and everything a week earlier that op option wasn't there to take an early September date if that was available for Texas. So maybe that's an option. Maybe you can do that in the future. Um, if they can slot in Texas there, it's still difficult to do a night race because it stays light too late. It's probably still pretty hot at Texas Motor Speedway in early September. And I fear you're still getting a hard time getting a crowd. And by the way, it might be a brand new track and we don't know how it races. So, but keep in mind what Mark is stressing there is races in the spring. 
that is a little bit of a, a, a talking point for this for this sport. I mean, more, which is incentive to go to one of these other places, right? That's what I, that's what I'm getting. Yes. At. Yes. You that's know, why that, that's a better option than Texas Motor Speedway. Yes. So I, I just bring that up. I, you know, the keywords for tonight from Larry Ford's quote lapsed. And in this story in the spring, that, that tells me what I think I know about Mark Miles's thoughts. Well, that's the gaping hole. Yep. In, in the schedule. And this year there is an exhibition race filling up some of that, but it's still larger than what people would like. You'd like to have a consistent schedule. You'd like to, you know, I, I think it's fine starting March 10th. I'd still prefer to start earlier than that, but if you could start March 10th and run essentially every other week, I, I think you should not run Sebring. You know, they did that one year. I think you should take Sebring off because it still satisfies some of your fans and it also, also helps your teams. Many of them are competing in that event. It helps your drivers. If you want your drivers to be economically sound, they need the paycheck that comes from being a third driver at Sebring. That, that's extra revenue for IndyCar drivers make more than you and I do by a lot, but they make less than a utility infielder. So extra money is important to, to everyone. So let's help them out there and stay away from from that event and let's i always say embrace daytona and sebring and road atlanta because you're going to see a lot of indy car guys there and it's it's good road racing as well so i'd still love unless it's locked in that st pete has to be the opener i'd still love to see something happen earlier than do st pete take advantage of sebring get another event late march early april we're gold you know you're looking two more events in the spring Maybe that gives you a little more breathing room in the summertime, too, when things do get a little bit more compact than you'd like. Yeah, yeah, I agree with all that. Um, I just think, to me, San Antonio sounds like uh, the most sense. And if there were conversations in 2018, 2019, there's no reasons why those have evaporated. Now, perhaps they've cooled, but, you know, the the gist of the discussion hasn't changed. The city hasn't changed. I mean, Toronto's changed around Exhibition Place because they've built some buildings there. You know, Vancouver has changed because they've built built things. But but I think, you know, largely it, the conversation could still be revived if it was anywhere substantive the last time. Yeah, who knows how close they were. I honestly do not know. And I know even if they were close, there are a lot of obstacles when you're talking about a temporary event. And it's it's tough to get them over the finish line, but that'd be fantastic. Be a great venue. So I hope something like that does come. And by the way, if you want to get back to Texas Motor Speedway, I think having a little bit of competition also helps that. Sure. They, they, they may have some pride in being the IndyCar race. Yeah, maybe not. It's probably just dollars and cents and whether they really need it or not. But it's tough when you lose the momentum to get back there and make that work, unless there is just a massive effort. It was already a struggle to begin with. After a year away, unless someone is really going to do something different, I do not know how it's going to be different. And even if the racing is great again, racing was really good last year. Even if it's really good again, I don't think that helps the IndyCar brand for people to turn on the television and see nothing but empty seats or mostly empty seats. That is not, it's not going to help your television rating because people don't think it's a big deal and it doesn't help your a sponsor of a team looks in and says, wait a minute, you told me this is a big deal. There's no one there. 
in the how big is Texas? How big is the Dallas Fort Worth area? Yeah. One of the top 10 markets in the country. Yep. And you're telling me you can't get 25,000 people to come and see your event? Agreed. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news there, but that's just trying to be kind of realistic there. I love the race, um, but there needs to be a, a strategy to, to make that happen. On the business front, we like to celebrate teams that are successful with partners. And I saw a note today that five hour energy is back in motorsports for the first time in a few years. They were last time. I would not have remembered this. Adam Stern pointed this out with furniture row racing in NASCAR in 2018. And now they are an associate on the Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan number 30 with Pietro Fittipaldi. Yeah, I think uh, the, uh, somebody will remember, but I think five hour energy drink had a brief presence in IndyCar but it wasn't substantial and this at least I mean this isn't a primary but it but it's a sponsorship that certainly is noteworthy it's uh they spend money and they make money so and they advertise business note IROC is back uh to some degree I don't have a lot of details Ray Evernham and Rob Kaufman have bought the brand and trademark and are going to try to revive the series plans to offer entertainment services in the nature of racing and exhibitions per a trademark filing. So we shall see. I think it's a tough go. Um, you know, you've got SRX for something a little bit different in the summertime. Ray, by the way, was original originally involved with that. He has not been involved with that. I don't believe in the last year plus. So this is another adventure. I like Ray a lot. And I wish him well. And, you know, things like that, those kind of things are good because it's the opportunity for a pretty easy plug and play support race of value. That was one of the great things about IROC, right? Yeah. You had a support event and you could put big name drivers in that support race. Nothing like watching Dale, Dale Sr. and, and Gordon and Alan Sir Jr. and Lion Dyke and, you know, watching these guys run at Indy and Michigan and, and uh, some big tracks. Uh, so that was always fun. And, you know, you had NASCAR champions and IndyCar champions. And and then you'd see a Steve Kinzer in there. And, you know, it, yeah. we had some variety of – we had wide world of sports, essentially, coming to a motorsports race. You know, all of all of the sport coming together. It's just a different climate than it, than it was then. And, and um uh, I, I don't know. I wish Ray well, and it would be great for the sport for this to come together. But I, I, I have reservations for how it could look uh, in reality. Last thing for this segment, and then I've got something planned for the next segment. Um, a lot of people complain about Twitter now that it's become X. I get it. It's a business. Um, I'm not as happy with the platform as I once was, but... Hey, we've not found anything better. There was an opportunity to do it better with threads and, and they couldn't do it better. So Twitter is still my news feed. But this one, this one annoys me. The Justin Wilson Happy New Year tweet has gone. It's gone away. Stefan tweeted this uh, on New Year's. He says, it turns out 22 was, 22 to 23 was the last Happy New Year tweet from JW. I know you all look forward to them over the years. Unfortunately, the changes at Twitter X affected the third-party app that Justin used to set up this auto-tweet, I'm assuming, he says. So, yeah. 
So he maybe he was a tweetbot user like me and had that set up on on autoplay. I wish Twitter would just offer me nine bucks a year to filter out some ads and, yeah. and go from one one device to the other and keep my spot. It's it's how I follow the news. But yeah, third world problems again. No one has figured out a way to do it better, and he's made a lot more money than I have. So he's smarter than I am. So I'm going to give him that about the way he's running his business. So I came up with a couple of questions. Just thoughts about next season and some lingering questions. Now that we're into the new year, we're going to touch on just a couple of these. And and then I'll check the Twitter inbox too. Coming up. Stay with us. Hi, this is Scott Dixon and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Trackside 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. First program of 2024. Are we Monday night next week? I should look this up. Oh, that would be a good thing to know. Let's see. No, we are Tuesday the 16th. We are Monday the 22nd. Tuesday the 16th, Monday the 22nd, Monday the 29th. So we will be the day after the Rolex 24. Um, by the way, I... I Got some research of the show done in my first trek to avoid Indiana through the winter time. Yep. So we spent the new year at Disney. I'm not sure I'd recommend that or not. It's no, quite no, expensive no. and it's quite crowded, but I like being warm and I like kind of the ambience. I like just kind of walking around and people watching. And as you're standing in line or just dealing with like you, you, I notice gear. You know, I notice team shirts. I certainly notice racing shirts. What IndyCar shirt did I see? Tony Kanaan. And unfortunately, what only one IndyCar shirt did I see? So I guess Tony Kanaan was not the answer. No. I can. I brought that up because I I texted with Tony about. I don't think it was on his birthday. I think it might have been January first, and he was at Disney. So I thought you might have seen Tony in his in his Tony Kanaan shirt. <laughs> no, I did. Actually, I think I did see that. I think I saw Lauren post something that they were down there. No, I did I did not see them. Nor did I see Pato Award, but I saw someone wearing a Pato Award jersey. That did not surprise me. That that would I think always be my guess. One because he's been really good at giving them out, selling them cheaply, making them a part of uh ticket packages that he's done for two or three events. But I I don't think that's just random. I, I think, you know, I know it's just one, but boy, I bet how many people you think I saw at Disney in four days? Oh, 10,000, 20,000 people. Oh, all of that. I walked by. All yeah. of that. I would say I saw 10 to 15 Formula One shirts. And that's the only motorsport I saw. I don't, you know what? I'm, I could have seen a Jeff Gordon shirt and not noticed, but I, I noticed between IndyCar and Formula One, Quite a few, several McLaren Formula One. They were clearly Formula One. And then, you know, Mercedes, Ferrari, um, Red Bull, things like that. But I think it was probably 15 to 1-ish from Formula One to the IndyCar Pato Award jersey. So there is just our uh, small example. And so can I write that trip off on the taxes? Yes. I yes. use that for research. It also is not a small sample size because you saw all of Disney. So that's not a small sample size. No, there's a lot of people there. Yeah, this yeah. isn't this isn't just, I, you know, going to Target one day 
And I happened to see, you know, one person of the 200 that were in there or something like that. All right, here's a couple of the things that I wanted to bring up. Just some thoughts going into the next season. Oh, I saw, here's a couple of news nuggets I still wanted to get to. If we have time, I'm trying to scroll back to it. Um, well, I remember it. So while I find the second question, who benefits the most from Alex Pillow? Who is impacted the most from Alex Pillow staying where he's at? Biggest Ooh. winner of Pillow staying? Probably Scott Dixon. Although I don't know that that's the answer, but that's the first one that comes to mind. But, you know, Linus is going to benefit because he's got him. He's going to have Polo there. But I don't, again, I don't know. I wasn't prepared. You didn't give me the question in advance for me to really think this through. Uh, but probably, I guess, ultimately, maybe David Malukas. I don't know. Exactly. That, that's the easy answer. So let's go beyond that. But yeah, it's obviously... David Malukas. I would argue that it's not Scott Dixon. I think if I'm Scott Dixon, I know he would never admit to this and he may not even think this way because he's a competitor and he's a champion and he's fine with beating whoever is around him. But in my mind, Scott Dixon's chances of a seventh championship are better if Alex Pillow is not in equal equipment. Yeah, I would Alex agree with Pillow that. Been really hard to beat in equal equipment. I would rather take my chances that he goes to McLaren and doesn't like their car or has a teething period and and struggles a little bit. Biggest winner beyond Malukas, I'm going to say might be Pato Award. I wondered what that dynamic would be like with Pato kind of being the lead guy there. Yeah, you can argue that that Rossi is, you know, he's an Indy 500 winner and he's finished second and third in the, in the championship. But I think it's kind of Pato's world there. He's the one that yeah. uh, gets the most attention paid to him. And if Palo comes in, he might be tough to beat. And we have seen if Pato is not in his happy place, like he was not when they were arguing over a contract and Formula One testing and whatever else two or three years ago, I don't think that went great. And he needed to refocus and he's as he said, recenter himself. So I think that would have been a question mark to look into this season had Alex Pillow joined that team. How does that impact Potter Award? So, but I'm still gonna I think I think if you're gonna put me to put me to the wall and make who who does it help the most? I'm gonna say Linus Lundquist, because I think he will benefit from having Dixon and Polo there. I think Linus Lundqvist is going to make big strides this year. And I think is he, I asked Linus this when he was in studio with us a little while ago. Pillow has been very honest that he was a pest to everybody. So you now have the right to be a pest to him. He's going to have to reciprocate. But I, I think in some ways, Pillow, Dixon is a fantastic resource. You're never going to not listen to what Scott Dixon says. But someone that is newer to being new has got to be an advantage. Well, and and for his beneficial, uh, you know, Scott's an open book. I, I'm convinced of that. But yeah, Pillow's yeah. more Pillow is more Linus's age, and I think they're just going to spend more time together. It, it could be wrong, but I just don't think 
you know, he's going to have as much access to Scott just kind of away from the track as he's going to have Alex. Just a thought. Could be wrong. Mm-hmm. I'd like to ask that of Dixie or or Polo or even Linus over the next couple of days. Another thought. Back to David Malukas, who clearly benefited from this. I, I think he would have had other options, but I don't think he was required to bring budget. So... That's good for Henry Malukas uh, at, at this point. But there's pressure on David Malukas. How much? We have seen that when, when you get paid to drive, when you're not bringing any of the budget, you have to deliver. And if you don't, they find someone else. And I think it's possible that his contract has an option for the second year. He may have to deliver in one year. and. It's good for him that Kyle Kirkwood resigned. Who else is going to be out there? I haven't even started to get into that scenario for 2025. But if there is another big name free agent out there, we all know that Errol McLaren likes big star drivers. And I think Alexander Rossi's contract is probably up after next year. That's one of the free agents, but he's already there. Now it's pressured that David Malukas will welcome because he's in a, a better situation but he's going to have to deliver. So that is probably something different than he's had. He's not really had that pressure on him because his, the budget was already there. He was going to have, because he's good and he came with budget. He was going to get an opportunity. So the question I think you're posing is who had, who faces the most pressure in 2024. And I just looked through the lineup. I keep a chart of all the names and where they're at. I looked at everybody there and I think the answer is David Malukas for the reasons you just described. I'm not sure there's anybody else who faces more pressure in 2024 than David Malukas. Mm. Just because that position is too valuable on a team that it would be too quick to make a change, you know, with that, like I said, it's too valuable. Too is many Rossi people. Next? If indeed he's in the last year of his contract, is. Whatever yeah, but that was, Rossi, 10... Rossi, Rossi would get a job. Rossi would, he would, yes, he would be hired, and Malukas probably would too. But he's not Malukas. If it doesn't go well, is not going to get a Pinsky Ganassi, you know, Andretti type of ride without budget. Let's say he would have to bring a lot of budget to get one of those rides. Don't you think? Well, and his option could be because there are a lot of rumors that HMD is going to start an IndyCar team in 2025. So he could just slide back into that seat. Yeah. But, but, but what I'm saying is Rossi could land yeah. with, with Andretti or, or Penske or, or Ganassi like that. Malukas won't have that street could. cred to get that. Could I'm not saying he would, I'm saying you're more likely that Rossi would get one of those seats before Malukas. If both of them struggle this year. Yeah. And I think it's more likely that Rossi is going to take a step forward this year. But Agreed. as we, as we say that, that means someone else in that top 10 has to slide down and you start, you know, putting the puzzle together and it gets late early. Gets I was just going to say, I was just going to say it gets late early finishing positions. Here, here's another thought I had. These are just kind of random things as I'm sitting around during the holidays without anything particular to do. If Grosjean and, and he's someone that might have some pressure too, um, but if he were to struggle mightily at, who goes Hollinger, does it raise Callum Eilat's stock even more? No, this is a guy that's been a podium finisher in Formula One. He's nearly won 
five IndyCar races. He is a good driver. And a lot of people think that Callum Eilat was awesome, really awesome in that car. We're going to find out where their program is. Maybe the program has just as much to do with it. And if so, then Romain Grosjean will finish on the podium at some point this year and will have, you know, half a dozen top tens and be very competitive. But if it is a rough go for Romain Grosjean, then does Callum Eilat's stock for 25, because I think that's what he's most realistically thinking about right now, is 2025. How much more does that raise? So I don't think Callum's, this is a good question, but I don't think Callum's stock can be raised much. What I think that if Grosjean performs well, it lowers uh, Callum's stock. I think I think Callum has the awesome. stock. I think he has the stock that he's going to have, assuming it goes like we, you know, if it goes similarly for Grosjean, I think Callum is going to be thought of just like he's thought of now. But yep. if Grosjean has a good year, maybe we've oversold Callum. That's all. The argument, if I'm a Callum Eilat supporter, would be that Grosjean had a good year because Eilat put the building blocks in place, started them from scratch, and and got them going. And again, Romain Grosjean is a world-class driver. I just, I, I just think it's more likely to hurt him than it will help him. Because I, I don't think he can be helped a great deal because I think he's pretty good. Yeah. I think you're right. It hurts him if, for example, Grosjean wins a race and is sure, on the podium. Sure, sure. But if they are similar... In results, meaning two top fives, 16th or whatever it was in the championship. Um, then that just validates what we think of Isla. Yeah. That's all. Yep. Okay. Uh, oh, you know, one more thing back to the the scenario. Is there any interest for Ilot helping Foyt via Penske in 25? I don't think I threw this in there when I was talking about that theory that it could help prepare Miles Rowe. If I'm Team Penske and I'm going to have to pay for this, I'm probably more likely just to wait until Miles Rowe is there and give him a good veteran teammate like a Calamilot or yeah. a third car, something like that. So if, if they were going to fund something, it probably makes more sense to do it when Miles Rowe is there, whether that be 25 or, or 26. All right. What we missed and more coming up on Trackside. Hi, this is David Malukas, and you're listening to Trackside. Okay, final segment for tonight. Remember, Tuesday night next week, same time, 7 to 9, and then the next two weeks, final two Mondays in January, or final two shows, will be on Monday. What we missed, uh, I forgot to mention that Marco Andretti is testing an ARCA car at Daytona. I think that's next week. I think he responded to the news on Twitter just simply saying it was seat time, so no word if he is going to race in Daytona, in ARCA, that would be required if he wanted to do the Daytona 500, potentially, maybe not. I don't know why it would be for him. Shane Van Gisbergen is going to be required to do it, though. So that's normally the requirement before you can do a super speedway in Cup or even Xfinity. You have to go through ARCA or something else like that. Um, all right, we'll learn more in the next two days from IndyCar Content Days that we can share next Tuesday night. And I guess I'll finish with this. 
Thank you to Dale Coin Racing for bringing back TBA. They've been announcing their driver pairings way too early over the last few years. So this reminds us of the, what, the St. Pete year when I think we got the announcement after the first practice had already started. So more of that, more uncertainty until we get into March. I suspect we'll know sometime soon, but uh, not yet. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week on Trackside. Thanks to Landon Coons in the studio. Podcast up in a little bit.